we are going to turn to events in the Middle East because the UN aid chief, Martin Griffith, said this evening that he feared there would be slaughter in Rafah if Israel presses ahead with an offensive on the southernmost area of Gaza into which over a million displaced Palestinians have fled. In the meantime, negotiations mediated by Egypt and Qatar are continuing to broker a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas and the release of hostages held by militant groups in Gaza. Israel's ambassador to Ireland claimed yesterday that an offensive could be averted if hostages held by Hamas were released. But just before we came on air, I spoke to the Middle East Institute's Director of Conflict Resolution, Randa Slim. I began by asking her what chance she gave to a deal being cut. Both sides, the Israelis and Hamas, are interested in a deal. Uh, But this is a little bit more complicated because it involves a longer pause, about 45 days. And then it also involves letting go of all the Israeli hostages, which is a major trump card for Hamas. And so it has to come with a lot of security guarantees for Hamas from, you know, international mediators, um, that once they give the the hostages up, uh, will they be allowed to exit the Strip? And so there are a lot of complicating factors um, to this deal than the previous one, which we saw take place in November, which involved the release of some, the simultaneous release of some of the Israeli hostages and uh, Palestinian prisoners who are in administrative detention in Israeli jails, as well as a, I think, eight-day humanitarian pause. And more important now is, as you put it, if a ceasefire, if, if a ceasefire can avert the onset of what every single expert says is going to be a horrific, a horrific um, situation, a tragedy beyond anything we have seen until now in the last four months, if the attack on Rafah were to take place. When Joe Biden says that uh, Israel's reaction or actions are over the top, that's what he's saying in public. Is there any way of detecting what's been said behind the scenes, what leverage, if any, has been applied by the United States? Look, at least from my vantage point, a U.S. president, an American president, has a lot of leverage and has, over the years, has had lots of leverage, U.S. presidents over Israeli prime ministers and Israeli political dynamics. Granted, you know, the Israeli public mood today is different from during any previous military interaction offensives or any previous um, military escalation between Palestinians and Israelis and between Hamas and Israelis. Uh, But still, I mean, U.S. president has lots of leverage, but whether he wants to use it or not. And yes, we have heard this latest statement that Israelis' behavior uh, has been over the top. But it has never, it has not been uh, connected to any kind of action, you know, to 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 make this become more real for the Israelis. Like we haven't seen a suspension of arms shipment to Israel. We haven't seen financial conditions being uh, placed on on Israel. We haven't seen the kind of threats that previous presidents uh, have used. For example, Reagan in 1982 during uh, Israel invasion of Lebanon, or even Bush in 2006 during another, you know, Israeli uh, offensive on Lebanon. So we have seen U.S. president in the past use that leverage and change behavior of Israeli prime minister. Now, people can make the argument Netanyahu is different than any previous prime minister, but also the 
equally valid is the argument that this U.S. president has until now not used the leverage that U.S. presidents have over Israeli prime ministers. Bill Clinton asked nearly 30 years ago after meeting Netanyahu, who's the effing superpower here? People might ask the same uh, of Joe Biden. Exactly, exactly. I mean, everybody I talk to in, in the region, in the Middle East, especially on the on the Arab side, is just astonished, astonished that a president who has over all his political life shown empathy, shown care toward the dispossessed, toward the weak, toward the sick, that he is unable to show the same empathy and the same care toward Palestinians, especially Palestinian children, and not willing until now to exercise the kind of leverage to prevent more carnage to, to happen. And I, I mean, look at his statement at, uh, you know, about Rafah. It looks like he almost gave a yellow light to the Israelis to proceed with it. He did not come across as standing against it. He said, oh, well, if you want to do it, you better have a plan to evacuate. Where are they going to evaluate 1.5 million Palestinians who have nowhere else to go? They cannot take them to the center of Gaza. They cannot take them to the north because once they are still combat, there is still combat going on. Two, they have been destroyed. There is no infrastructure. There is no potable water. There are no hospitals working in those parts of the country. There are no security guarantees to this 1.5 million Palestinians who have been, by the way, displaced numerous times already. They were in the north, they moved to the, to the center, then they moved from the center, and now they are in Rafah in the south. Where else are you going to take them? To the sea? Into the sea? Where are you going to take them? Finally then, what pressure, of, there's obviously military pressure on Hamas, but... Qatar, Egypt, are they exercising pressure on Hamas to to cut a deal? And if so, how is that pressure? How is that leverage being exercised? I mean, look, I think I'm pretty sure that um, that both mediators, Egyptian and Qatari, you know, told the Hamas uh, Hamas leadership after they gave their reply to the original negotiation framework, which was put together in Paris by the Qatari PM and the head of intelligence agencies from the U.S., Israel and Egypt, I mean, Hamas reply was maximalist, as expected, but also Hamas did not close the door on the negotiations. And in fact, even the American state secretary of state said, you know, their response was a little bit over the top, but it had also some good points that we can build on to move forward with the deal on the ceasefire and the hostage release and the Palestinian prison release. So I think there is pressure being put on Hamas, not only by outsiders, mediators like Egypt and Qatar, but also by their own people. I mean, their own people after four months, they are tired, they are sick, you know, they are dying, their children are hungry. And so there is definitely pressure on Hamas to move on with a ceasefire, especially that we have now Ramadan coming up early next month. And that was the Middle East Institute's Director of Conflict Resolution, uh, Randa Slim, speaking to us shortly before we came on air. Now, this... uh The issue of what Ireland can do in all of this came up at Leaders' Questions today, Gabby. There was uh, some 
quite heated pleas uh, to the Taoiseach uh, at leaders' questions from the Labour Party and from people before profit. Yeah, uh, Vada Bacic, uh, leader of Labour, making quite interesting points. She's saying that the Irish Strategic Investment Fund has invested over €4 million euro on companies based in illegal Israeli settlements in the West Bank, East Jerusalem and the Golan Heights. She's saying these investments, um, you know, that they, they, they fuel the ongoing humanitarian crisis in the region. She says they're shocking. Um, these settlements, they breach humanitarian law, they displace people in their homes, they destroy families and communities and the subsidising of businesses in these areas amounts to complicity in perpetuating injustice. Um, in response, Tisha Klee of Radker saying that he'd spoken to the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, um, about the EU-Israel trade agreement. Um, just yesterday, he's saying that it, um, it could not be withdrawn without unanimity amongst the EU nations um, over the issue, which of course, as we know, is not possible to secure even to uh, you know put together a statement at the start of the of the war in Gaza you know the EU took its time and, and, and couldn't agree on the word pause or pauses All right, let's let's get a flavor they, they, they were discussing there this uh, in part uh, a story by your your colleague Ellen Coyne who, who had that story with the the strategic mm-hmm. investment fund but uh, this is Ivana Bacic at leaders questions today. And by enabling subsidising of businesses in occupied territories, Ireland is complicit. And that complicity, we know, does not chime with the values of people here in Ireland. We in Ireland must move and must take further action. We must move on legislation to stop Ireland subsidising genocide. And we must move to end trade with occupied territories in Palestine. Your government has said you would prefer to take action on these issues by non-legislative means. But there are perfectly good bills waiting to be passed. And Taoiseach, I've received a legal opinion which indicates that the Occupied Territories Bill initiated by Senator Francis Black is possible to pass under EU law. So let's do it. Ah, that was Ivana Bacic. Let's hear from the Taoiseach. I I really think we need to be be honest um, uh, about uh, the situation that we see unfolding uh, in in the Middle East. Uh, We will take action. We have taken action. We'll even take more action. But it's very clear to me uh, that the Israeli government doesn't listen to us, doesn't listen to the world, probably doesn't even listen to the Americans anymore. And that's what makes the situation all the more dangerous and all the more worrying. And I think we need to be honest with people about that too, because I am concerned that there are actually people who shout at us and abuse us in the streets. Maybe they don't do it to you, but they certainly do it to me and to my colleagues here, who believe there is some action that we can take uh, that will change Benjamin Netanyahu's mind. I think that's incorrect. Uh, the Taoiseach uh, Gavi is speaking there about uh, what he said the, the, the government is doing but you might run us through so, some of what he said uh, at leaders' questions as, as to what the government says it's doing. Yeah, so I think most significantly and I was with the Thánaiste there abroad in the US last week and in fairness you know, Ireland is the small country in the peripherals of Europe but we do have this incredible connection with the United States and the United States is more or less funding um, the atrocities that we are seeing right now in Gaza. Um, Thánaiste Michal Martin in Washington last week, you know, very much so lobbying politicians there to restore UNRWA funding and to help, um, you know, Gaza as much as possible and calling for this humanitarian ceasefire. And that is a difficult and awkward conversation to have. And no doubt uh, we're going to see the Taoiseach himself uh, making very similar calls on his St. Patrick's Day visit uh, next month. But, you know, I suppose some of the politicians um, in, in Congress Hill, they're saying, or Capitol Hill, they're saying, 
saying, look, you know, privately, they're in favour of what we are seeing, the White House changing its stance a little bit on um, when it comes to recognising Palestine as an individual state. And that same uh, sentiment is being echoed throughout Europe as well. Um, But, you know, they do have that power to stop Israel, um, you know, or at least get it to rein in a little bit. Um, And even speaking privately to some of the people that live, for example, in Chicago, where the Tanishta also visited, Chicago was the first major US city which council their council voted uh, recently to calling for a ceasefire and um, you know they see it as Irish Americans see it as a sort of moral debate um, so like Ireland does have a lot of influence in, in, in that regard right. and I think even Simon Coveney today is saying Israel is acting as a rogue state you know really quite very strong signals coming from the Irish government Alright uh, Pa Daly um, if leverage is to be exercised by the US is there anything uh, Sinn Féin could do in, in the US? I mean, it has an extensive network of supporters in the US. Some of them are in labour unions. They're connected to opinion formers. Uh, there's a St. Patrick's Day trip coming up. What can Sinn Féin do? Yeah, well, we're totally opposed to US policy here. Um, and US representatives that we're in touch with uh, know this. And uh, we will be setting out the case for a ceasefire with them. But the, the government needs to act and it needs to assert Ireland's opposition to what's happening, uh, push for a peace process, push for an independent state, tell the US and Britain to stop arming the genocide of this uh, apartheid state uh, that is Israel, uh, to stop the collective punishment. And we need the Minister for Foreign Affairs to come out, take questions and set out clearly what the government is actually going to do. Uh, Israel, in my view, needs to be put outside the camp um, it need the Francis Black's Occupied Territories Bill needs to be passed. I, I agree with that. What do you say when when uh, the Taoiseach says that I think three successive Attorney Generals have said that by uh, in their analysis, EU be uh, the trade being an EU competence that the uh, Occupied Territories Bill falls foul of that. Yeah, well, there are contradictory uh, legal opinions in relation to that. Uh, that Francis uh, Black has uh, has produced two various meetings that have taken place in, in the AV room and around Leinster House. Uh, I don't think that that's necessarily the case, that that, that, the, that, the, that the Attorney General's opinions uh, are not watertight in, in my right. view. Well, that, that's what you think with the, go- the government, but just, I mean, I suppose specifically, what lobbying efforts have you made or will you make in the United States in order to try and yeah, change well, opinions there on the issue, say, of the supply of munitions, maybe through the labour mm-hmm. unions or through uh, policymakers on well, Capitol well, Hill? Yeah, first of all, we've been engaging constructively, first of all, with the government. We have been in touch continually uh, with all shades of uh, I- I- Palestinian opinion uh, since the 7th of October. My own town, uh, in Tralee, is was the first town in the state to be twinned with a, a place called Betzahur, which is near. Uh, Bethlehem and we have been in touch with the mayor there and we know that there's uh, oppression and uh, increased oppression taking place on the West Bank as well as there. Uh, We have also been speaking to Anthony Blinken, we've been speaking to the US, we've been lobbying them hard in relation to it. Most US um, politicians take a different view um, but as a state, we were the ones who pushed the government initially following our consultations with the Palestinians to call for a ceasefire because that's what they wanted initially. All right. uh, that's We will continue to push that and... Uh, uh, but I think it's stronger if it's coming from the government at when he goes to Washington DC uh, to, to call for uh, the US and Britain in particular to okay. stop arming Israel and not to be taking their views on board and lying down in James, the James Lawless what do you make of that uh, charge the government <coughs> could do more and the Occupied Territories Bill uh, 
by some legal advice, doesn't fall foul uh, of of the uh, EU having sole competence when it, when it comes to trade, that there is discretion for Ireland in that area. Well, I, I find it somewhat ironic. Uh, in circumstances where we hear uh, Israeli groups, uh, and indeed not that I'm condoning the, their basketball team recently, but we, we hear repeated commentary from Israeli quarters that Ireland is too pro-Palestinian, and Ireland's one-sided, and Ireland only has one view of the conflict. Um, and yet then we turn around and we, we hear sometimes those that support the Palestinian cause suggesting the government is not doing enough. So, you know, I, I think that really the reality is Ireland is the most pro-Palestinian government in Europe. Um, I think the Tornish has led from the front on this, I think he's been extremely strong. Uh, of course, he will be bringing that message uh, to the White House uh, and to the United States um, and St. Patrick's Day, as I believe with the Taoiseach and other ministers that, that are going abroad. Um, look, at, there is a lot, I suppose, going on here, but I think that the, the key point that the, the Taoiseach said in the, in the leader's questions today, I think this is the reality of it, and there's been all kinds of motions or counter-motions and amendments to motions across the door for the last several weeks. None of this makes a blind bit of difference to what's going on in, in Gaza. And Israel, as the Taoiseach said, is just not listening. They're not listening to a vote in the Irish Dáil. They're not listening to the Irish government. They're not even listening to President Biden anymore, it seems. Um, they're doing their own thing. So, you know, international diplomacy is hard. Right. Uh, it's hard to make countries do things that you want them to do or don't want them to do. Um, but I think the way that the, the Taoiseach has gone about it, jaw, jaw, not war, war. Um, talk is better than boycott. OK, Eileen. Uh, they listen, though, once the money stops flowing. All right, Eileen. Uh, they could um, trigger Article 82 uh, at a European level. Like that's what uh, that's what we could do. And also, just like as uh, Ivana Bacic has said, and Francis Black, years like ju- way way before this conflict in October 7th, has done a lot of work around uh, um, the bill around. Um, around uh, stopping the sale from uh, Israeli goods here in, in this country and that's so absolutely so doable again uh, Article two, is, is that the, the human rights clause in the association agreement yeah yeah and to also just you know major actions joined um, Africa um, as courts of justice around um, the genocide like that there's we could do that straight away past those bills as Havana has already uh, highlighted and again like you know it's even hard to even speak about it this has been going on now months seeing children being killed and we're doing I know we're doing a lot at the European level as as ardent like as a country but there's an awful lot more we can do uh, than talking about it. Do you want to respond very briefly to that James Lawless Yeah we're just in the South Africa case and I think this is well trodden ground at this stage but you cannot just get involved in a court case just rock up and say well I want to support uh, that country I mean there's a procedure by which you make submissions South Africa as the applicant country have made their case I don't think any um, other country uh, have joined it at this stage um, but what you do is you when the submissions it's oral submissions it's the first step of that case and when those submissions are published we don't even know what they say just yet we just know a couple of days of oral testimony and um, then countries review it and, and consider it and decide do they want to become a notice party or do they want to join yeah. it we may very well do that but it's it's a bit off, yes. Well, the problem is, though, uh, James, that the Taoiseach initially was against the South African case and then he was saying that he's hoping the ICJ would make a, a decision about the interim ceasefire and, and he said that there was a, possibly a role for Ireland but he didn't say what role uh, that there is. So the Taoiseach has been kind of contradictory in relation to it. He needs to just come out and say we support the South African case. It's, a, it's an absolute no-brainer in my view. But, but, but I mean, to, to be fair, Ross Fanning, the Attorney General, <coughs> is travelling to, to uh, Brussels, uh, I think, in two weeks' time. He would be participating in oral hearings on, 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 on the sep- case representing on, on, Ireland. On, on, on a separate case to, to do with uh, the, the occupation, the, the occupation of the West Bank.